tú me pones un, un éxito. Si, si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker Movement, Jules Duget, with another great show for you this afternoon. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built because often we were overlooked, we were put in boxes, we were labeled, but that is no longer our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's guest, in all essence of the word, is a superwoman. We are for a treat today because we have the opportunity of meeting someone who has transformed lives besides her own. Her name is Tresha Metzner. She grew up in a broken home. She suffered abuse and made poor choices and ended up in prison as a result. Today she stands, renowned author, transformational speaker, counselor, mom, and just overall superwoman. Rising from the ashes, this Phoenix has incredible, her story of transcending the impossible to reach the possible. She's a well-respected psychological and Christian counselor, certified life coach, bestseller author, and transformational speaker, as I mentioned. Her story is like no other. I introduce to you, Tresha Metzner. Welcome. Thank you so much, and I'm so happy to be here today. Well, the blessing is ours to have you. Uh, you know, the first thing I just want to say is, um, what are you currently working on? And tell us a little bit about you. Like, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. So, yes, just like you said, you know, I'm a transformational speaker, an international best-selling author, Christian counselor. Uh, I do life coaching as well. Um, my main perspective right now is doing a lot of transformational speaking. Um, I'm kind of all over the place doing my work there. I also go back to prisons and jails and speak to ladies there to help transform their life and make their lives better as well. So I have a lot of different projects that I work on. And the, most of my projects are just helping people to understand life and to try to get out of their troubled mind, the situations that kind of get them in the situations that they, that they find themselves in. And um, just overall, like you said, being a wife, a mom, grandma, um, and just enjoying life at this time. You're creating infinite opportunities for the world as a transformational speaker. Tell us about this work. So um, basically just because my story, like you said, um, it, it came from chaos to freedom. So my background, um, it's not like most background, uh, but I do say that, you know, my background has a resume that a lot of people don't have. And so it gives me a lot of tools to work with. Um, I came from a broken home, as you said, uh, a very, very rebellious teenager. Um, I had two children by the time I was 19 years old, um, was in a very abusive relationship, a lot of domestic violence. And then later on, by the time I got in my mid-20s, I was indicted by the federal government. So I've experienced a lot. So I'm able to hear, I'm able, I'm able to be here and share a lot with people um, to transform their inner man so that they can see what they want to see from the inside so that it actually comes out on the outside so that we all can see that change. I'm going to try to help our listeners understand a little bit to unpack this bit. 
Can you take us back to when you were about six or seven? Who was Tresha then? So at that age, you know, I was I didn't understand what was going on because from the earliest that I can remember is probably when at the age of three, it seemed like my life was just um, a lot of moving around. It was not really stable. Um, my parents had divorced at a very, very young age. By the time I was six years old, my mom had a boyfriend that tried to molest me, uh, which I didn't understand at that time. But I think I carried that on into my teenage years, which caused me to be a very, very rebellious teenager, not understanding why I was so rebellious and so out of order. Um, but during my psychological studies and getting my BA in psychology, it helped me to kind of understand my myself. And not only that, I think besides getting my BA in psychology, the real work started when I read the Bible. I had so many different questions uh, about life, about myself, about why I'm here. What am I here for? I actually um, had thought about suicide at one time when I was going through the domestic violence. So I had a bunch of questions that I asked myself because no one, um, when you see yourself in a bad situation, no one can say that they expected that for their life or that's what they desire for their life. So I began to ask myself some really, really deep questions. How did I get here? What's wrong with me? You know, why was there so many obstacles and changes? And I talk about these things not to put the blame on anybody, but just to show you that we have to come to a term in our life where we got to take responsibility for where we are. Um, and if I could take responsibility for, for where I was in a, in a county jail facing 30 years to life, um, in federal prison, anybody can. Well, now that you are six years old and your mother's boyfriend has carried on, um, what what happened next? So now you go into a life of rebellion and you're just trying to get your voice heard. Were there times that during that time you made choices that you regretted as well? I mean, I know you got beautiful kids behind that, but there was something else that came from that. So I think I made a ton of bad choices just overall, just um, there just wasn't the structure that the normal structure that you see um, in, a, in a household. Um, unfortunately, my mom, she had a, a alcohol addiction, which caused her to, you know, you know, drink a lot. Uh, very, very good mom when she was sober did the best that she could do. It's nothing to blame her. It's just that she was suffering with her own problems as well. And I don't think that I really understood what my mom may have went through or my dad as children or when they were growing up. So sometimes we look at our situation and we say, me, 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 me. But sometimes we have to look beyond it and, and kind of ask ourselves, well, what could my mom have went through or what could my dad have went through that it was so much of a dysfunction between the two and then this dysfunction passed down to the children. Well, now that you kind of marry in your first uh, marriage, tell us a little bit about how that was and living with someone under those rules. Yeah, so I, my, my abusive relationship, I wasn't married to him. He was actually my kid's father. Um, I was 15 years old and he was 21 years old when we were when we started uh, dating, in other words, um, my mom, she really, really was uh, against this total situation. I was totally rebellious. She was telling me, leave this guy alone, you know, stay away from him. He's not good for me. You know, all the things that a mom would, would say to try to prevent something from 
negative happening or early pregnancy or all the things that she had in her mind that ended up happening, in other words. So by the time I was 15 years old, uh, I was pregnant by him uh, and I found myself in a juvenile detention center pregnant. Um, Then by the time I was 19 years old, um, I had two children with him, but the relationship was very, very abusive. He was actually... um, a drug dealer, but also he was a user. I didn't know that he was a user at the time. People would tell me that, but I never saw him use. So I didn't believe it until one day I caught him using. So this made more sense to me for a lot of the abuse and him not wanting me to come out the house and, you know, um, just be out, you know, in the, in, in the area because he was doing things that he didn't want me to know about. So now that you catch him and you begin to think about your next moves. What were those next moves? So now that I knew that he did drugs, everybody was telling, and what everybody was telling me was the truth. I now began to know that um, I had to get out of this relationship. I was understanding more and more of the the puzzle pieces and putting it together, that this is why this relationship was really abusive because it became more abusive now that he knew I knew he um, used drugs. So the people that was bringing him drugs, I ended up asking them, can I sell the drugs to try to get out of this relationship so I can make the money because I needed to get myself out of this. And they agreed. And by them agreeing, it turned into a situation where I began to make way more money than I anticipated. And it kind of grew really quickly and faster than I expected. So at this point, you weren't dealing with small amounts then if we're talking about that scenario. Right. We we're talking about large quantities of, uh, of drugs um, that I was dealing with. I wasn't dealing with anything that was small. I was dealing with large quantities where you make a bulk of money and you just pass the drugs on. Um, so um, this is one of the things that created such the um, consumption of money so quickly. Did your lifestyle change because of the money? Yes, it changed drastically. I got out of the got out of that relationship, got my own place, opened businesses for myself, um, had all the cars, uh, the home, everything that you can think of that people say are the riches of the world. I had it. I would order a Mercedes Benz, one hundred and twenty seven thousand uh, dollars, the BMW trucks, and I was on this big uh, parcel of land that I had purchased, had built a home on it, um, and had planned to just stop selling the drugs and end up. Um, just uh, using the activity of my businesses to uh, fund my lifestyle. But I found myself um, in this huge home that I had, and I just found myself just feeling empty with a very, very huge empty void in my life as if I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, it, it was like the void had always been there because that's why I would buy, buy one car. And then three weeks later, the board will come back um, and I buy another car. So it was like all these riches of the world was not making me happy, in other words. So I had the money to purchase or buy whatever I wanted, but it was not bringing happiness or it was not fulfilling the joy in my in my inner man. So, Tresha, so during these moments when you're making this money and now you're feeling depressed, there was no outlets for you to get mental health supports. There was just money on top of money. Right. Buying you things, but not getting you the happiness. Absolutely. That's correct. And so then um, from there, go ahead. what what did happen next? So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about mental health support. 
Um, that's something that I think my my culture don't really talk about or discuss um, as far as the mental health and trying to uh, gravitate to help somebody in that in that uh, situation. I think you know when you you come from a home that's broken or a home that um, seems to just withstand whatever, whether it's good, whether it's bad. You just keep going and nobody thinks about um, the stress of the lifestyle. I mean, because doing things wrong, it puts a major stress on you because you have a moral compass. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. But when you're doing what's wrong, it's just a stress that, you know, it it just it's, it just hinders you so much. And no one talks about or thinks about mental health or getting some type of help help to get you um, through through your trauma. So. Basically, as, as I was saying, you know, for the situation with me just feeling this huge forward and just so depressed and just uh, my, my life was miserable on the outside looking in, everybody would think, wow, she got it going on. She has this wonderful life. This is, you know, this is the life that I dream. And, I, and I've seen people who told me that and, and, and thought that this life was the best. But, you know, I had this persona that it was good and it was OK. But when I got home in this huge house and looking at all these cars and this jewelry and money, it was just something in me that this is not what, what it was about. This is not what I wanted. And I found myself crying uh, on my knees, uh, just crying out. You know, I didn't know God. And so, but I've just found myself crying out, saying, if it's a God, help me, help me. I'm tired. And as I was crying out to God, I had my two sons come in my room at that time. And when they came in my room, they said, mom, what's wrong? And I couldn't even voice to them what was wrong with me. It's just that I felt so tired of the life that I had created and all the wrong and all the bad choices that I had made that got me to this lifestyle that looked good on the outside, but it was totally not a good um, lifestyle for me in the inside. And so I was just saying to God, you know, I know you got a better plan for my life. It has to be something better for my life than this. I need your help to help me. Um, so, you know, I cried out for that help. And three days later, I found myself indicted by the federal government. Mm. So now that you're indicted, you get arrested. Yeah. As a woman, a mom, must have been a difficult thing for you to have to deal with the law at that extension. You couldn't make the connection that you made the calling and that your spirituality had guided you. So what happens next now that you get arrested? So now that I'm arrested, you know, I'm in the cell. Of course, they don't let me out. Um, I go for three bond hearings. All of the bond hearings, they tell me no bond, that I'm a flight risk. I have access to money that I know that they felt that I could get to, that I was totally a flight risk. I would not, they were not going to give me a bond. So here I am in this situation, first time getting into this, in a situation like this and can't even get out. I mean, they won't even give me a bond. Mm. So, um, I found myself in this 23 hour lockdown cell. Um, and I just was sitting in a cell, just thinking on my life that here I am three days prior to this, I had a home, everything that life, uh, people expect in life. In other words, um, all the riches of the world and all this, this stuff. Now I'm sitting in this cell that I can't even, I don't even have a window to look out of. And then on top of that, they only let me out one hour per day. And that was to take a shower, um, use the phone and you, they will give you a little time to walk and then you go back in your cell. But what happened when I was in a cell is I had asked, uh, some ministers that came in one, 
one evening and through the little food tray, because that's the only place you can speak through at that time. Um, I asked them, could they come to my cell? And when the lady came to my cell, she said yes. And so when she came to my cell, I said, ma'am, do you know the, um, well, I've always heard of Psalms 23. Um, I want to remind the listeners that I didn't know the law. I didn't know the Lord. I was totally naive to both, to be honest, you know, just completely naive. And, but I've always heard Psalms about Psalms 23 um, throughout my life and different people talking about it and say that, saying when you're in tr- trouble, you ask God for help, you know, he'll help you just the different things that people say. And um, so when she came over there, I asked her, did she know the words to Psalms 23? Um, she said, yes, I didn't have a pen. I didn't have any paper. But I had a pen, a pencil that they give you um, while you're in there. So I had this pencil when I asked her for the words. So she said, yes, yeah, she had the words. And she she get, as she was giving me the words. I wrote down the words to Psalms 23 on, on the floor of my cell. I sat there and I memorized Psalms 23 to myself all night long. I meditated that psalm through my head, uh, through my heart. I would constantly say it to myself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. So I constantly said this Psalms to myself every single day, every chance that I could think of. So I constantly kept trusting and believing in God. And I said that I was going to trust and believe in God. And I had started picking up a Bible, started reading scriptures, still trying to figure this out because they was telling me I was going to get 30 years to life. Um, as I constantly kept reading and kept, constantly kept studying, I noticed that when I started reading different scripture that I was getting answers to the questions through the scriptures of what I was asking God. So I knew that this is some type of connection that's going on. So finally they moved me to another County jail where I could be out and not be stuck in his cell for 23 hours. So when this happened, I just kept studying and kept studying and kept reading the word. As I was reading the word of God, I just, Got, I just consume myself. And in the scriptures of Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says um, that we need to renew our mind according to the word of God so that we may prove what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. So I constantly kept reading the word of God, constantly kept meditating on the word, renewing my mind. I didn't didn't un- I didn't understand at that time the as much time that I was spending with God. What typically happens even when you're outside, when you hang around with someone so much, you start to take on their character. You start to take on their word and you start to take on their uh, personality. And that's what was starting to happen to me. So when my attorney would come to see me, every time she would come see me, I would tell her um, that I wanted to uh, tell her things about the scripture. So she said she had never met anyone like me because here I am facing a 30 year to life sentence, but all I want to talk about is scripture. And she said she will always leave inspired by me. So the most crushing part that came with this situation is when I would see these women come into the jail who had been addicted to drugs, or I would hear these stories about how these parents would maybe sold that child for drugs, but due to their addiction and maybe the they got on drugs. The child got on drugs as well. So here I am looking at these women in and out and my heart was just crushed because 
I knew, even though I didn't directly affect them because I'm in jail now, I I supported this. I supported this wrongdoing of the community. And it hurt so bad because this is not something I wanted to see. Seeing the people addicted and seeing what this actually caused, because I was seeing this firsthand, that this addiction and these these drugs that they were using were calling them, causing them to come in and out of, out of jail because they was now addicted. And my heart just mourned so bad for them, and I just wanted to help them. So what I started doing is I didn't wait until I got out, or because at that time I didn't even know I was going to get out. But what I did is I began to create my own environment in there. I, be, I began to create my own atmosphere. I began to take the Bible and what God was showing me in the scripture. And I began to teach every single woman in there that would listen to me about scripture and the things of God, because I was learning so much and it was so much joy. And I was being fulfilled so much by doing this and helping them and, and teaching them and if they wanted to pray, because I was learning so much about prayer. So it was giving me great joy on the inside, trying to help these women right then and there where I was to change their life, no matter if I did life in prison or if the, I got the sentence or what. It just gave me so much joy to help them. An amazing woman, amazing story. By then, you're already a transformational coach. You didn't even know it. I didn't know but it. at this point, there were so many women going in there and you only had one hour to come out. I did hear that there was famous people locked up with you. Who yeah. were some of these people? But by the time I got sentenced to prison, um, actually, I was in prison with Martha Stewart. Um, she well, because I didn't watch TV for one, because I was so um, in tune with the Bible and reading scripture all the time. I put TV and everything aside. I didn't do anything but study. So when they transported me to Alderson Federal Prison, um, I was uh, I would see helicopters um, going over the compound. And I was like, what is going on? Why do we, they have uh, helicopters? going over this compound because I didn't know, know and didn't really understand that part of it because I didn't know who was there. But when we got mail call, because they had gave me my room assignment. So when we got mail call, when I opened my door, she was the one to open her door. Then I'm like, oh, okay, this is what the helicopters are for. Because um, I guess they was trying to get pictures of her as, as well as why she was there. And then she was get, get these large bags of mail and stuff. Um, but yes, that's who I was in federal prison with. <laughs> so now that you kind of understood that there's a big case in front of you, but you're still hanging on to your spirituality. Yep. Did you know how much time you had left, the amount of the sentence? What was going on now? I just want to make sure every listener understands that you can come out of your situation no matter what. So as I was um, in the county jail, uh, still waiting to be sentenced and everything, still reading my word and still meditating upon the scriptures, um, I had saw in an open vision my arms bound like in the spirit realm with spider webs, and I could not move because the webs had me so bound. So as I was trying to move, I heard in my spirit the Lord telling me that if you begin to tell the truth, the webs will break. So it was almost as if something had me completely bound because I was tied up in all my lies because um, the detectives wanted me to talk to them and they wanted to know the true story about where these drugs was coming from, how I got in it, you know, because it was, it was a conspiracy case. Um, so they thought that I was like one of the, the lower people on this platform of selling these drugs. So mm -hmm. to be honest, if I told the truth, I would be telling on myself. And I say this part because sometimes you got to face yourself. 
You have to face yourself to come clean. You have to look at yourself in the mirror so that you can be set free. Um, you have to take yourself back into those dark places so that you can grow and so that you can um, begin to access this freedom that you're trying to get. And living in a lie, you will never be able to access that freedom. So I knew as I was studying the scripture and constantly asking God for his help, because here I am very terrified because that's all they're telling me is you're going to get 30 years to life. So I knew that, you know, since this was a new um, format of my life, I put it that way, of trusting God, because when I was on the street, it was just trusting myself and all the things I wanted to do. But here I am trying to turn a new leaf and really do this. So I had to apply what I was knowing and, and this knowing of God telling me to do something different here. So if he told me I needed to tell the truth, that's what I knew I needed to do. So mm -hmm. when I talked to my attorney, I had told her, you know, the situation and the story that really this is me and that I was the one really pushing a lot of this stuff out there. And this is how I got so big. It wasn't my husband who they originally thought it was because he had had a, a prior record of selling drugs and stuff. And he was caught up in his conspiracy case as well. So they thought it was him. But it was not him. It was me. So I had to tell the truth um, on me. And that was something he didn't want to want to do because he felt like, you know, he, he is going to bury his wife. But really what he wanted to do is he was willing to take the blame for me. And I told him, no, that's not what we're going to do. I told him I felt in my heart that God was giving me um, something to do and he was leading me. And that's what I was going to do. So I talked with my attorney and I talked with the detectives and I told them exactly the truth about the situation. And trust me, I felt like a complete idiot afterwards because I was like, yeah, they told me I was going to get 30 years alive. Now I'm pretty sure that's going to seal the deal, but that's not what happened. It began, I began to receive freedom. Um, it was like nothing holding me back anymore. It was nothing uh, keeping me bound. So when it came time for me to get sentenced, um, the prosecutor had recommended that I get 16 years in prison at this time, uh, 16 years in prison and 10 years uh, federal probation. So when he recommended my sentence, the judge took a recess. So when he took a recess, he came back and he said, no, I'm not going to give her 16 years. I'm going to give her 132 months. So here I am trying to figure out this 132 months going back to the sale. Um, and the bailiff asked me, how did it go? And so when he asked me, how did it go? I lift up my head. As soon as I lift up my head, I heard the spirit say, it's not over yet. So I began to smile because I knew at that time, God was already teaching me about the power of words and the energy that you release with words and how you can release negative words. You can release positive uh, words, but you're going to get the effect back from them. So I didn't want to say anything wrong. So I told him it went well. It went well. So they transferred me to the uh, federal prison. Uh, and that's where it picks up where um, when they transported me there that I was in the dorm with Martha Stewart and and then began to carry on with um, with living. So at this point in time, I had 16 years to, and 10 years federal probation. How long did you do? That's that time. <laughs> so let me tell you. So I, I stayed in the county jail for two years. So I ended up uh, in a federal prison with with the sentence for the 16 years. Uh, remember, I said God was teaching me about words. So I never mm -hmm. spoke those words of of the um, 11 year prison sentence or the 132 months. Mm -hmm. um, God was lead, leading me to Mark 11, um, 23. 
And I would say this to myself all the time. I was steadily putting these positive words into the atmosphere. And I would say, I have faith in God. I have the God kind of faith. I say unto this 11 year prison sentence, thou shalt be removed and be thou cast into the sea. And I do not doubt in my heart. I believe I received those things which I said, and whatsoever I said, that shall have. Because God was teaching me, He was faithful to His word. So He was explaining to me about the mountain. And the mountain is whatever is going on in your life that you want to be removed. And so I had to put my 11 year prison sentence in this scripture because that's the mountain that needed to be removed out of my life. So mm -hmm. I constantly would say this all the time. And I want to let you know that saying it's just not going to going to do anything. You have to apply what you're what you're reading. You have to apply and make take actions towards where you're going. So I would constantly give. Because I was learning about giving. So all the instructions that God was giving me, I was applying. I wasn't just sitting there saying a bunch of scriptures. I was applying it. I was walking in it. So I was giving any money that I got because I knew that ministers and people sent books and Bibles to the to the jails and prisons. Any money I got, I sent it back to a minister or somewhere because I wanted to be a part of this giving. Not only did I want to give of myself, I wanted to be able to give back to someone else that may be, even though I was in prison, I wanted to give back to that other person that was in prison because when these ministers and stuff send these books and stuff out, someone has to pay for that. So right then and there, I wanted to be a part. So I would give right there in the jail where I was. So I constantly kept um, going through this process of um, hearing from God, uh, trying to understand what he was telling me, which way I needed to walk, what did I need to do. And so one day I was at the um, at the dentist office that I worked at. I would constantly tell the dentist that I, I was not going to do the time. And he would just smile and say, OK, trust. I know I hear that from all of you girls. And you a lot of them have been here 11 years, 20 years. You know, you got some girls walking around and it's mm -hmm. done 25 years already. And they they were saying the same thing. And then I would constantly say, I'm not, I'm not. It's just something inside me. I knew that I was not because I was now paying attention to every instruction, everything that God told me. And it's like I had, it's like I was, I was, I was already walking in freedom, even though I was there in my mind and everything else, I was not there. So it was like I was already walking in freedom. And I think that was because I was applying to my life, everything that he was giving me instruction to. So it made a difference in my life. So one day we was Working at the dentist's office, normal, nothing unexpected. Well, we wasn't expecting anything different. We was just doing our normal work. I had been in prison five years at this time, just a little over five years. So I rounded off at five and um, the phone rang. And when the phone rang, you know, the doctor picked it up because we are not allowed to just answer the phone. So he picked the phone up. And as, when he picked the phone up, he just started smiling. But he was smiling with tears coming down his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he said, Tressa, you're going home. And it registered, but it did not register because he was handing me the phone at the same time he was saying it. So when he handed me the phone, I answered the phone and they said, is this Tressa? I said, yes, it is. They said, Tressa, uh, they said, Tressa, this is um, the lieutenant down at the bottom. They said, your judge went back and reduced your sentence so low. You got 30 minutes to get off our compound. Hmm. And so I just started jumping for joy because it was out of nowhere. It was just suddenly it just happened. It was just. Okay, it's it's here. It's his time. And um, by the time I hung up the phone, the the um the guard was already there to get me, grab my stuff, and they took me and got off the compound. So now you get out, and yep. now you know that spirituality is part of your work now. 
Yes. What were your next moves now? Now that you understand that you had your own mission now, what was that like and what was your next moves? So, of course, I didn't have anything uh, at this time, so I had to move back home um, to my dad. And in the course of this, let me explain that me and my dad developed a very, very great relationship. Mm. Uh, we got a, we we talked, we communicated, we he talked to me like never before. And basically I finally saw this love that I was looking for from a father that I was seeking in my younger years. And we just had a totally different relationship. It was, you know, he was like, you stay here as long as you want till you get on your feet. You know, it's okay. You know, he was just there for me this time. You know, he, he's gotten older and, you know, I think he's had some time to reflect and, 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 and think about things. And I had already forgiven him because that was one thing I didn't add, but I do want to say I had to go back through some hard places in my life as well. And I had to forgive people because that goes back to me saying that you don't know what pe other people experienced in their life as well. So I had to forgive everyone that I had hindered or I felt hindered by so that I could be free, not them. I needed to get free. So that freedom came from me forgiving them and accepting that we all make mistakes. We all do wrong, but I needed to forgive them so I could continue to move in freedom. So now that you and dad get back together and you unite and here on this platform, we talk about the sense of unity. We never give up on one another because that's the work that we all have to do as community members. And I was so happy to hear that you share this story about you and your dad, because it makes sense for family to reunite. Yeah. You know, tell us about your book. It was a smash looking out from the inside, the United States versus Treasure Oliver Parker. Yeah. Tell us about this book. OK, so. Um, I, I go back just a little bit because I, I wanted to conclude also from when I came home and I had this good relationship with my dad and everything. So during this process, I put myself back in school um, to get my B.A. in psychology. Um, mm -hmm. I kept myself around positive people. I kept myself around like minded people, people that um, had interest in doing great things, helping people. Um, uh, and even with being around the people who I used to hang with, you know, some of them, you know, I was able to convert them over to Christ and because they everyone saw the change. They just said mm. they saw a glow. Uh, even my brother, he would tell me, he said, you always had a glow, but your glow is so bright now. It's just unbelievable. Mm. And so um, I would keep myself around all positive things. So one day I was home and. You know, I had another one of those awakenings and, and visions about the book. So what I did is I wanted to help so many people, not just in a small area anymore. I wanted to people to know that they can change their life. They can see the very change that they want others to see because they can make that change in their own life the same way that I did. And mm -hmm. I wanted them to see all of the things that I went through just to show them that there's no excuses. We can do this. We can make this happen. We can become great. We can help others. We can do the things, you know, just like you said, when you introduced um, the show, you know, people may have counted us out, but God counted us in. He mm. already had the plan. You know, I always say, seek, seek God, uh, seek God first, seek the God of 
kingdom of God first. But the thing is, he sought us out first. He was always there. He was always waiting. He was just waiting for us. And he gives us the instructions. If, if we just pay attention, if we just pay attention to him, we he gives us those instructions. So our life becomes great. Just like he said with Abraham, he told Abraham he'll make his name great. He makes our name great because people think they can put a label on us. But he said, no, not so. And he makes those names great. Just like now with the international best-selling book, he's making my name great. Yeah, it was once where people wanted to be. But by me following God, he's placing my name where he wanted to be in, in, in places with great people, other great names. And so, and that's what he desires for us. So the book, um, when I can't say I was very nervous writing a book because it tells so much of my story and it, it gets really in depth of the situations. And the reason why I wrote it like that is because I wanted to, to write it so people can relate I wanted them to know that to the ones that has been through this, the people who have been through uh, uh, molestation, domestic violence, being rebellious, being sentenced in front of a judge. You know, I wanted all of these people to know that we're somebody. We can do this. And if I had to be the first change agent to show that or to show all of the different um, situations that I went through and to be able to come out of it, great. I wanted to do that. So this is what this book is for, to help you with your self-development, to help you to understand that God has already given you the faculties to win. And you have every inner faculty. You have the total powerhouse inside that you can win in this life. Hmm. So humbled by you and your presence. You're such a superpower, like a superpower, <laughs> you know, international bestseller. And you just as humble, like nothing just happened. Yeah. What do you want listeners to understand about the book? I want them to understand that you can go from A to Z. Just like I said a few minutes ago, I've been broke. I've been abused. I've been with domestic violence. I have done wrong things myself. I have been out there and committed adultery before. I have done all these things. But God still said, I love you. So I want everybody to take from this that even though you can you do these things and you make wrong choices and wrong decisions, God wants to elevate you. He loves you. He came after you first. So allow him that opportunity to do that. My book is basically so that you can understand about transformation and how I use the tools within me because I didn't. OK, because I didn't have the money anymore. I didn't have all the big glorious things anymore. All I had was this power that's within me that transformed my entire situation as well as myself. So that's what I'm here to tell everybody, that you have the tools already to win. And in my book, you will see that I use those tools to win. And when I talk about tools and, and, and when I talk about the faculties within, God showed me how we have the inner eye, we have the inner ear. And when I say the inner eye, I say this, what, what I mean specifically is when you dream, your eyes are closed. When you have these imaginations, sometimes your eyes are open, sometimes they're closed, but you can see. And that's from within. When you're reading a book, a magazine, a, uh, whatever, you can hear an inner voice. And so this inner voice is within. You're not even mumbling a word, but you're hearing these things. Hmm. Those tools and those faculties would, will allow you 
to whatever you put, whatever you do inside, it allowed to come on the outside. So what I did is I was seeing myself already on the outside doing great things, transformational speaking, coaching with my psychology degree. I was seeing myself already in the inside with these things. So I use these inner faculties, this inner power that God has given to everybody to make myself a better person, to make the change on the outside as to what I was seeing on the inside. Really love that take that you have on that personal affirmation, giving yourself hope, empowering yourself. Some of your clients that you do see, and they come up to you with similar situations, probably yeah. similar to yours. Yeah. What are some of these challenges when you're trying to work with them that you come across? Do you use your own story? Do you model? Do you go another route? Um, sometimes I use my story with the personal applications, but sometimes we got to figure out what, what the first thing I do is I do a lot of listening because the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's in scripture. So you can pretty much tell what's going on with a person if you just sit and listen to them for a while. You can understand where they're at, where they're going, what, how they're seeing things. If it's always somebody else's fault, have they taken responsibility? You know, you can see these things just by listening. So once I listen to them and, 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 and get a hold of where they are, that's when we can take the approach as to whether we need to work on unforgiveness, whether we need to work on uh, continuously blaming others for the situation they're in. And so once we get these things situated, then we can go to the next step or the next path that we need to go through in, in, in coaching. Love that. Listen more, talk less. Yes. Now, as a transformational speaker, you have loads of work that you've done worldwide. Yeah. Tell us about that. And what you enjoy the most about that? I think the most part that I enjoy about that now is when somebody comes up to me and say, you changed my life. I read your book. I'm so happy that you wrote your book. I can't believe you went through so much. This book really changed my life. And then when I have a lieutenant or a sergeant um, from the police station or from the sheriff department that's in that audience, and they come up to me and give me their personal card and say, you are changing our communities. You're giving us hope. Thank you so much. If you need anything, call me. Trying Helping to bridge that gap, that gives me the most joyous experience that I ever could thought that I would ever experience. And when I just think back on my life as to where I was and when I was sitting in that jail and in the prison, I really didn't know who Tressa was, but God knew. So he already had a plan. That's why I say if we just follow his plan or we follow the inclinations and the, the, the that inner voice that we're hearing on the inside, we will come out and we will be in great places or we'll, we'll, we'll end up in places we never thought we would be. And that's what I look at every single day. And when I have conversations with my brother, because we always had an amazingly close relationship, he, he always asked me, did you ever expect to be where you are now? And I mm -hmm. said, if I would have known all of that hurt and that pain that I went through, that I would be here. You know, I just I just can't fathom it because you don't understand that the pain and hurt that you go through, you're going through it to hurt, help someone else. And if you're willing to share it, it's like you just keep getting elevated and elevated more and more and more. And it's just an amazing thing to look back on that. And then you look at where you are now and 
you got to love of yourself because first of all, you got to love yourself. And that's what I do so much. I love myself. So by me loving myself, I'm able to love on so many other people and help them. And that's the greatest joy. You give so much to so many. What do you do for yourself? What does your self-care look like? Well, um, I spend a lot of quiet time in, uh, in the mornings. Um, that's one thing that I always do. A lot of I don't tell anybody else to do it. But one thing I do is I get up in the morning around four o'clock uh, just to have some private time and just while everything is quiet and just meditate and and just uh, focus on my, you know, but getting information for my day, uh, you know, I ask the Lord, is it anything you want me to do for the, for you today? You know, versus me telling him what I want. You know, trauma is so layered. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work to help yourself and obviously now to help others. Are there moments that this creeps up for you as far as the trauma side, even though that now you're helping others? Are there moments that you still feel vulnerable in these areas? Absolutely. Um, when I when I feel myself in certain situations or whatever, and I'm gonna give an example of a situation that I was in um, when I was doing a uh, a webinar, and one of the ladies on the webinar uh, asked me, you know, what would I say to the younger Tressa now that now that I see myself in another in a successful light and the things that I'm doing and everything. And so when she asked me that question, what would I say to the younger Tressa now? I couldn't answer that question. I just basically told her I don't know because I was basically just stuck. But uh, just like I said, me and my brother had a wonderful uh, relationship. He was on the call as well. And so when the webinar was over with, he called me. And he, when he, when I answered the phone, he said she did, she did nothing wrong. And so when he said she did nothing wrong, I said, "What are you talking about? What do you mean?" He said, "The question the lady asked you, what would you say to the younger Tressa now? She did nothing wrong. That's what you should have said." When he said that, I thought that I was over that part of the molestation and the uh, things that happened back then, and I had forgave the person that did it. But I found that I, it was still something there. But by my brother telling me that that she did nothing wrong, I broke down crying because when he said that, I felt a release of healing and, and I felt healing. And because no one had never told me that. I don't know if anybody ever thought to tell me that or anything, but my mom never told me that. My dad never told me that. No other family member, no one ever told me she did nothing wrong when I was a child. So that child who's now an adult was healed at that moment. And this adult, ladies and gentlemen, powerful African-American woman leader. Now you go back to the prisons. Yeah. Tell us a little about the work that you bring back to those women, giving them hope. Yeah. So when I go back to the prisons, um, I, I speak with men, I speak with the women. Um, I actually go back and I teach them transformation. I use my psychology degree to help them with issues that they may be suffering with, uh, getting to the root of their problem, which a lot of it is uh, with some of the issues that they go through in their family homes, not having uh, the parents that they expect they should have. And then they start uh, punishing themselves, in other words, and feeling depressed, feeling like they're worthless, feeling like they're no good and wondering what am I here for? You know, why am I like this? And one of my main perspectives is I want to, I try to let them know is that you're like you are because there there's only one of you. So it, it stops saying that what's wrong with me is nothing wrong with you. It's mm -hmm. only one of you and, and it's only you that can do what you can do. 
that's the problem. You don't have to be like anybody else. It's only one. And you're the only one that can, can perfect your gift and do what you do. And so, and then also while I'm there, every single person there, when I go, gets a book for free. So I take um, some of the, the proceeds that I get from the book and I purchase books in bulk and I give them back to the jails and the prisons so that each one of them can read my story to try to help them uh, while they're there and while they have time. And as well as they can speak to me while they're there. Inspirational stuff. And we plan to put the link to your book on our website and also have your information up because I think it's super helpful for our listeners to understand that what seems to be an ordinary person, she is not. She is led and dealt through examples Super proud of having you here. Could you share some strategies for our listeners about when things are going rough up for them? Probably not compared to the things you went through, but tell us something that they can do. Some tips. So, so I would tell any listener to never give up on yourself, first of all, to apply the good things that you know that you should be doing. Continuously walk in that same path. I will always tell people to allow your feet to go in the same direction as your mouth, because I see a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm going to do great. I'm going to apply this. I'm going to do that. But as soon as they stop speaking that or they, they finish their conversation, they're walking in a totally different direction. Allow your feet to line up with your mouth. Let both faculties go in the same direction, and then you will begin to see the results. Tressa, we're going to give you the floor now. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Amazing woman, just anything that you think you want our listeners to have and to remember you by. So I want you to remember me Remember me by specifically. Um, I say this slogan all the time because I know it's for me and I know it's for others. But what I always tell myself when I want to remind myself of all the good things, I say that God's promises created my purpose. So I stand on that all the time because I know that there's so many promises in the Bible. And by God having those promises that he left for us, it created my purpose because I'm living proof of the, of the dreams and the promises of God that I stood on. What, those years back, the promises that I stood on, he has answered every one of them. He even, you know, I used to pray about, you know, having a loving husband, a husband that, you know, that's totally committed to me, no adultery, not all of these things that go on. I have an amazing husband, you know, so God has given me every single thing that I have prayed for and asked him for. So I just leave that with you to learn the promises of God in your life for you and stand on that promise. Well, thank you so much. Such an amazing show. I want everyone to lean on their own promises I want everyone to remember the words of Tresha because, as she said, you stand on your own and continue to walk that same facet. Don't give up. Keep going forward. Because this platform, it was built because we will not be overlooked. Many times they try to label us, overlook us, put us in jail, tell us things that we can't do, but no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Look out friends for another He's Just a Social Worker show. Amazing, coming to a town near you very soon. We out.
Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, Mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde De La Rosa. Esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.